This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Equity Mind. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast that follows our journey of investing. Whether you're an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett status, our aim is to help break down your barriers from beginning to dividend. My name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you? I'm very good, Bryce. I'm very excited. We are, we have our first guest in our new studio. Yes. This will be a trivia question one day. Who was the first guest at the Equity Mates studio? Do you think you're excited? (laughs) (laughs) It is our absolute pleasure to welcome to the new studio, Julian McCormack. Welcome, Julian. So happy to be here. Thank you. So uh, just a quick reminder uh, before we start that we're not experts, we're not financial professionals, we're not licensed. We're just here learning like you and nothing on this podcast should be taken as advice. Julian is an expert though, so... um, don't listen to us. <laughs> don't listen to us. Still don't take everything Julian says as advice, yes. but he uh, is licensed uh, under Platinum um, and we're going to be learning a lot from him today. But not licensed to give advice. That's so it. So it's not legal advice. It's, it's there we illegal go. for me to provide advice. Yes. Okay, okay. <laughs> and as we always say, just generally don't take financial advice from a podcast. Totally. Yeah. And, and can I just say one thing with that? I think it's really important to express to people If you take anything seriously in your life, get a coach. Oh, yeah. Right? So there's a bit of a perception, I think, around financial matters that I I should be so clever, I should do it myself. And I like to say to people, do you reckon Rafael Nadal knows a lot about tennis? Probably (laughs) knows a lot about tennis, right? Mm. Does he have a coach? He has a whole coaching staff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So if you're going to take this seriously, go get a coach. Yeah. Just get accountable, get serious get like it's hugely important and the more you think you can't afford it probably the more you should do it it's money very very well spent you can go and talk to these people for free for for one you know see if you have a meeting of minds whatever a financial planner financial advisor whatever but it's 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 actually really important Mm. Mm. good shout good shout yeah well if you haven't come across julian before we um had him on our osbys show way back in 2021 i think it was 
Was it? Something like 2020? that. 2020? It was in lockdown time. Yeah, there was, there was anyway, a lot of COVID issues. <laughs> uh, Julian is an investment specialist at Platinum Asset Management. And today we're going to be covering all things um, current market conditions, where to from here and where Platinum are seeing opportunities. Yeah. So Julian, for people who haven't watched our Ausbiz show uh, and may be coming across to you for the first time, we always love to start with the story of someone's first investment. We find there's a good story, good lesson that comes out of it. So... Do you remember uh, the story of your first investment? Yeah, totally. Crystal clear. So first stock I ever bought was Macquarie Bank. Uh, I was about 19 or 20. Uh, stock was 18 bucks. Yeah. Um, I was doing an internship with a group called Capital Partners back then, which became CP2. Uh, that was just pure nepotism. That was just a... A, f- a friend of the old friend of the family who needed someone to do the filing type stuff, and I was at uni, and that all worked out really well. They were working in infrastructure, and their basic thing was bo- boiled down to the cost of capital for these very stable infrastructure type businesses is way lower than everyone thinks. And the only other mob who they saw who knew that was Macquarie. So that was the early days of things like Hills Motorway and Transurban and blah, 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 these, these early public-private uh, partnership things that, that went around and hoovered up, you know, these sort of toll road type investments. Mm. And the only other guys out there, guys and girls, I use that term generically, um, who got it was Macquarie Bank. And, so I, and, and then so just got to know a little bit about the culture of Macquarie Bank. My brother-in-law worked there. My uh, sister had worked there and just got an appreciation of what that thing kind of was. Didn't really know anything about the balance sheet because that's unknowable. Um, didn't really know much about, you know, what the potential risks around the financial sector were, you know, f- at that point, um, which became apparent about 10 years later. But, but it just looked like something that was robust and had an edge on everybody else relative to a big sector. And I thought that's, that's sort of pretty good. And then I flogged that about, I'm going to say, yeah, in about 2007. So, oh, wow. Yeah, so I was going to say. That went all right. Yeah, that was yeah. good. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's kept going all right after well, that. I, know, yeah. I should have never flogged it. I, should it. Gone, and I never went back and re-bought it, by the oh, way. No. Oh, no. No, yeah. no, no. But that's, that's actually, when you read the sort of masters, that's something they do really well. Yeah. Is they, oh, well, I missed that, but I'll just buy it now. Or... Mm. I, yeah, that's that's a good discipline's the wrong word. It's just a good practice, yeah. you know, to always remember to to go back to things. Bought at eighteen and it's now one eighty. So yeah, and I, I flogged it at eighty, so it was sort of odd. Did Eight, well. Low eighties, yeah, yeah, it was fine. Yeah, Did yeah, well. Yeah. <laughs> Be happy with that. Well played. Well played. <laughs> yes. Following that, have you developed an investment philosophy, or like what's the investment philosophy that carries through Platinum? Yeah, so let me let me talk about Platinum because that's that's better than my investment philosophy. My personal investment philosophy is I'm very comfortable to wear massive amounts of risk, and also I don't ever want to run third party money because okay. yeah, because I, you know I just observe what it's like doing that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not much fun. <laughs> so, so that you know, if you do well, it's the client's idea. If you do badly, it's your idea. So it's this lovely sort of, you know, sort of thing. So, but at Platinum, we're very lucky to have a business that's built over repeated instances that that bond people to our business. And most young investors don't have any appreciation of that. And so as a result, we have a relatively old client base, you know, in terms of age. 
um, who've been through either one or two cycles with us. And so we have a business because of what happened 2000 through 2004. And then we gelled people under the business, welded people under the business with what happened in 08, 09, 10. Mm-hmm. And then since then, we've been pretty me- mediocre, really, to be frank. Uh, in terms of performance, we'd be the first to say that, first to volunteer that, you know, we did things like, you know, told everyone how great Microsoft was in 2010, sold it in 2013. Oh, no. <laughs> that's fine. I mean, that's what we did. So, but what's that reflective of? Let me take a step back and say what I think people don't have a great appreciation of is that we are acting in the fog of war. We cannot wait for proof. We cannot wait for things to be known because by the time you do that, it is too late. Mm. That is what that thing out there is. That's what the economy is. It's, it's a massive, you know, uh, mathematically chaotic thing that's unknowable. And I think there's a sense that the general public gets with investment that if I just had a better mousetrap and more data to put in the mousetrap, mm. then I'd know everything. And I could predict anything, but but you can't. It doesn't work like that. It's much more like, you know, um, si- systems under great stress. Um, so you know, in material sciences, you get to, to points of um, criticality, and then it's, you know, you sort of know the outcomes, but you can't know with any certainty when they'll happen. Or subatomic particle physics, where you can know a bit about a particle, but not all of it. So, so Heisenberg uncertainty means you can't know direction, spin, and velocity all at one time. If you know one, you know the others less mathematically. That, that's what this is like. So then what does a philosophy mean? A philosophy from there is just a guideline that helps you deal with that fog of war. And so it lets you know, okay, I don't know this is the right thing to do, but I know this is why I should do it, right? And that's really, really important because it just means you don't get suckered in one way or the other. The thing I'm thinking of is you don't get suckered into bubbles. You might miss a bit of fun on the way up, but you don't, you don't have massive drawdowns on the mm. way down because of what you're doing. The reverse of that is also true, and I fully acknowledge that. There are brilliant growth investors out there, and all that happens is over cycles, returns cluster, So different people make different returns at different times. Everyone, 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 everyone. So no one ever makes their average return every year, right? I mean, Bernie Madoff did. Yeah, (laughs) true, true. So, 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 you know, that was was his thing. (laughs) Everyone else has these periods where they suck. If you understand why something sucks and if it's sucking at the right time, that should actually be fine. Mm. because it means, okay, I get why that might be or whatever. And then you can actually, and that has informational value for you. You can then say, okay, well, maybe I shouldn't use that manager now. Or if I expect the conditions that that drive that performance to continue, maybe maybe I shouldn't use this this, this mm. mob right now. So that's all by way of prevarication, obfuscation and background. <laughs> but so what do we do? We basically sell expensive and buy cheap. Yeah. And the way we can do that, because those terms don't mean anything. Cheap doesn't mean anything. Expensive doesn't mean anything. Because if you can get a Ferrari for 200 grand, it's cheap. It's cheap. If you're forced to buy a 1994 Corolla for 100 grand, it's super expensive, right? So obviously. So how do we know what's cheap and what's expensive? There's a whole bunch of things we can know. So the the first point is 
valuation versus itself versus other things versus itself over time versus other things. That's the first point. It's really obvious. The next thing we can know is how are people positioned versus that thing? Do people love it? Do people hate it? Do people own a lot of it? Is it under-owned? Are there flows going into it? Are there flows coming out of it? That's extremely helpful. And then we can know what, how does that thing perform, you know, in different parts of the economic cycle, you know, as a, as a bit of a cyclical thing as opposed to a structural thing. So that boils down to we are looking for things that are, that are overlooked and neglected. And they happen all the time. They happen all the time. And what's more, they sort of seem to be happening more. Okay. That's the interesting thing. Mm. And I think there's a sense in this cycle that technology has allowed us all to become great investors and I think there's just a hell of a lot of wood and people can't see the trees. And that's leading to massive valuation dispersion and that's amplified by this incredible um, initially monetary and latterly fiscal experiment we've all lived through that's amplified that that cycle. Mm. So if anyone you know, wants a quick summary of where we see the world, the setup's really bad for risk assets from here and especially from here now. Mm. You know, six weeks ago we could have had this chat and I would have <laughs> felt like, oh, everyone thinks that, mate. Yeah. And, and everyone was bearish. Hey, that went away pretty quick. Bryce mm. and I were just speaking about this. The, it, the sentiment has changed so quickly. And, you know, the NASDAQ uh, composite is up 20% from its June lows. Yep. Australia's tech sector up 30% from its lows. Yeah. It's funny how things change quickly. Let's put a pin in overlooked things and where you're seeing some overlooked things because uh, we'll get back to that. But let's start with this macro picture and what's happening. Um, you you feel like maybe people forgot how risky the stock market was a little bit too quickly in the last month. So I guess tell us what Platinum's view is, what your view is of the the macro environment, you know, inflation, recession, bear market, all that stuff. Yeah. So, so let's start with a start point, which is where were we coming from at the end of last year? And that was about the most expensive that equity markets have been in their history. Mm. So that's not a good start point. Now, now why do I say that? So, so And we could look at price to earnings, price to book, price to sales, enterprise value to invested capital, market cap to GDP. On the average of all those things, we were about the most expensive we'd ever been, largely in the US, which then dominates the MSCI international all markets, you know, average, right? Because that's 60% of the average. Um, So on average, that market was very, that index and those pair of indices, you know, the S&P and the MISCI, were about as expensive as they've ever been. That doesn't convey any information though, because, well, conveys limited information because expensive can get more expensive. What I like to impose upon people is a thought experiment and just, it's very trivial, so bear with me, you might have seen this before, but if I get a balloon, it's very fully inflated, and I pop that balloon with a pencil, pencil has to be reasonably sharp, it's a pacer, Right. It's a pacer is something I haven't thought about in a long yeah. time. Exactly. We're going back to the school, um, you know, pencil case and getting a probably a relatively thick, you know, maybe half a mil pacer. Pop it. Did the did the pencil pop the balloon? Mm. And you, know, you think, yeah, of course it did, you idiot. But but now let me get the same balloon, same make of balloon from the same packet of balloon and inflate it, you know, only one third. And now I hit the balloon with that pencil and it might pop so the pencil didn't change mm. it's the air in the balloon that's doing the popping 
and the pencil just helps. So what happens in cycles is as the balloon inflates, it becomes self-fulfilling for the participants, for the air in the balloon to believe that the balloon is inviolable, right? Because they see the balloon, they feel the balloon, they're in the balloon as it inflates and, the, and everyone's making money, it's all good, it's all fine. And then so the, the possibility of a, of a pop loses any veracity or, or, you know, mental possibility for the people in it. Because, hey, mate, you don't need to tell me about Netflix. I've been here for 10 years. You don't need to tell me about Microsoft. I've been here for, right? That certainty, paradoxically, is what makes cycles possible. And every cycle is the same. And we live in an economic system that is cyclical. Mm. That is what capital does, right? right? So capitalism is really simple, right? The iron law of capital is return on capital, Right, so you have to get a return on capital. How is that determined by price? Price goes up, capital comes in, price goes down, capital goes out. But then we can tell ourselves that no, 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 this is a structural grower. Inflation is, we're in a secular stagnation now. See how they're different? They're things that are not cyclical, they're known. They're, they're, so now I have a certainty on which I can build my worldview and they're, they're not subject to debate. No, 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 you don't have to tell me about that. It's it's because think about it. Maybe a year ago there was a bit of doubt, doubt creeping in, mm. but most people were really wedded to, hey man, this inflation is transitory. You know, it's look, it's it's debt, it's demographics, it's technology. We'll never have much inflation. We're in a very different environment mm. now. It's all known, and so that certainty lets them build an incredible cyclical bubble. Yeah, an incredible. I mean, I'm a really staggering cyclical bubble, mm. and and the certainty that that gives people is what leads to that bubble so it's it's the it's the belief that we're not in a bubble the knowledge in inverted commas that we're not in a bubble that can lead to a bubble it's really paradoxical Mm. and it's also again not all that helpful because you don't know halfway through the bubble how big the bubble can get expensive can always get more expensive and so you get this behavior where a house of cards gets higher and higher and higher and taller and taller and taller and the taller it gets the more stable it feels Mm. that's to start point. Fully acknowledge that could be wrong. Fully acknowledge that this might not be anything like what I'm describing because millions of economic agents are doing the reverse of what I'm saying. So let's be humble about that. Let's go back to that fog of war, right? You know, Napoleon couldn't wait around at Austerlitz and think, you know, maybe that guy will go there so I should take that hillside. He couldn't wait till the guy went there because then it was too late, Mm. right? You can't it's not a mechanical process where someone comes with a PowerPoint and says, I've proven it, I've proven it, it's, we're, off, we're off to the races, we, you know, we know. It is a constant state of uncertainty that we're dealing with and therefore you've got to sort of watch out for what the boundary conditions of these things are. And we've got to really radical boundary conditions. Mm. So if you look at the valuation of markets versus all of the great bubble episodes of history, so I'm not going to go back too far, but you think, you know, so the US in 1929, the US in 1967, Japan in 1989, uh, China in 2007, the US in 2000 in the, in the tech boom, we reached a level of market valuation that rivaled all of those. And people need to know, understand, and have a sense of from those points Markets fell by more than half every time and often didn't make new highs for decades, if ever.
So on that, markets fell by more than half each time. We what we saw about twenty percent in the S and P five hundred, a bit more in the Nasdaq, and then it's rallied a bit from there. So are you saying uh, the worst is yet to come? From my perspective, absolutely, irrefutably, that's what it looks like. And and so why would I say that? I think where the market's narrative, where the market's prevailing bias right now is, well, the big the big problems inflation. That's triggering action by the Fed. If the inflation comes off, the Fed can pivot and we're all good. <laughs> and that's what I see being demonstrated. In I have actually behavior. seen that a lot on like Instagram and social mm-hmm. media in yeah. the last like 24 hours. Yeah, yeah. 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 Now, when I think I s- we did a post, well, I did one this morning called Stocks Are Bad. Did you? <laughs> <laughs> He's the problem. <laughs> it, was a piss, it, was a, it was a piss take. Yeah, but. No, no, Bryce, <laughs> Bryce, by the way, it could be right. That, like, We're like, about it, content clickbait here. Yeah, so that, <laughs> that yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. But, but let me also volunteer that could be right. Like, so I see people present things as, oh, it's a mathematical certainty and, and, and whatever. And I think things like the, the big short mm. does this where, where people know, right, and guys like Michael Burry or whatever know that an outcome can happen. It is so hard to convey how, how brutal the uncertainty of markets is and how self-eroding yeah. that uncertainty is because you'd never know. You never, ever know. And also, it actually it did a pretty good job in that movie and in the book of expressing that when you're halfway through that process and you've begun to see very serious default rates in the master trust data in the books of subprime stuff, but none of the prices are reacting, then you've got to think, well, maybe I'm wrong. wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong. There's something about this that doesn't make sense. So, And by the way, that could have been the case. You know, There could have been something about that setup that was missed by guys like Bury or, 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 you know, we, I mean, we were, we were short, you know, American financials at that time. And we took those shorts off. Oh, really? We took those shorts off. So just before, just before Bear Stearns, I'm going to say four months-ish before Bear Stearns, but we had shorted these things for at least 10 years before. I mean, we shorted Conseco Homes to zero in 2001 and two because this subprime stuff was obvious. It mm. was just... Awful. Yeah. You know, the accounting was terrible. So, so it was all, in inverted commas, cash accounting. So you're a subprime provider. You put together a book of More loans. Years. Yeah, yeah. You securitize them, flick them out, and you you count that as profit today. Oh, okay. That's what cash yeah, accounting yeah, yeah. meant. Was that like um completely different example, but Slater and Gordon, where they were recognizing all their potential work as revenue? That sounds a lot like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it that sounds a lot made. like it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, d- I didn't. I don't know the ins and outs of that, but it sounds exactly yeah, like okay. that. Yeah. And I use that term prevailing bias. That's a term straight out of Soros, right? So Soros's thing is. These machines don't work around equilibria. They are constantly in disequilibrium. And they're constantly, when I say machines, I mean markets, they're constantly being dominated by a prevailing bias. And once you understand what that prevailing bias is, you can either agree with it or disagree with it, right? And and also understand that they're self-reimposing, they're mm-hmm. self you know, they're self-perpetuating. That's his idea of reflex, reflexivity. And so, you know, and some of your younger listeners might just know Soros from like right-wing memes or whatever. Yeah. This guy was an absolute all-time great. Yeah. A, a genius, you know, 30% for 30 years, largely of his own money. Mm. And he laid his thought processes out for everybody to see in a whole number of books. And unbelievably brilliant at this, by the way, 
bad at maths. <laughs> did did like philosophy and I forget his other major at university, but but was obsessed with the understanding the world. And he and he had access to tools that most people don't because his large exposures that generated huge amounts of money was to borrow in one currency and buy another currency and use the borrowings to then buy financial assets underneath that. Okay. So he was making money in in multiple different ways. So if he borrowed in Deutschmark and bought in dollars, right, he was short Deutschmark long dollars before he bought a stock. Mm. And then he'd have a stock book underneath that as well. And then he'd and then he'd buy index commodity futures around that as well. So and he was doing that all basically in his head. Yeah. Sounds so, like he was okay at maths. <laughs> he was he was really good at mathematical concepts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so where are we now? That prevailing bias has been explained. What what do I think is actually happening in the economy? We're we're careening into recession. Okay. Just plowing into recession, like <laughs> just just galloping into it, <laughs> <laughs> and that's bad for stocks. So well, yeah, right, it's, it's bad for everything. And yeah. Like galloping into recession. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now Australia, I don't know anything about Australia. Like you guys will know heaps more about Australia. I, I spend my time in a little bubble that looks everywhere else. I don't have much time to look at Australia. I don't know. So I'm largely talking about the states, which is like the financing cycle that matters. So what do I see there? I see a deeply inverted yield curve. So twos, tens. And the Fed, also, and the Fed has published at least two research papers in the last five years that say, no, 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 there's no explanatory value, no predictive value in the yield curve, especially not twos, tens, to which I say, um, I disagree. Okay. Not, you know, it's a family show. We can bleep you out. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So what is a bank? A bank is a big thing that borrows short and lends long and has a government right to do that. So, And by definition, they borrow at zero duration, which is a deposit. So your deposit is a loan to the bank yeah. and you can take it out any time. Yeah. So it's a one, it's like a zero you know, time horizon borrowing through to about three years. That's a wholesale funding market that banks operate in. So now what happens if the two-year note, two-year treasury note is at, oh, we're at 320 and the 10-year is at 270 and everything's priced off the back of those two things, banks automatically will say, well, hang on a minute, I'm not going to lend these guys are not going to lend to, you know, Julian, Bryce and Alec because I'm borrowing at some rate that's set off, you know, 320 and these, these guys are, you know, their, their reference rates out there are set off 270. I'm going to tighten. Mm. What do we see observing? Huge tightening, massive tightening. So go and Google Senior Loan Officer Survey, FRED, and look at what that looks like. So you, the only times you've ever had both small business and medium and large business tightenings of this magnitude, recession, and the only times you've ever had a net 20% tight, which is where we got to Friday week ago, right? It's a recession. The only times you've ever had the forward indicators in, you know, um, so the three branches of the Fed, of the Fed Reserve take survey data from businesses. So the Texas, the Philly and the New York Fed, the only time their future new orders have gone to zero simultaneously was 2008. That just happened last two weeks ago. 
And people say, no, no, but, it, but unemployment is really low and uh, job ads are really high and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, just go and look at the shape of the unemployment curve and overlay that on recessions. It's always at the lows as you're going into recession. It's not the level, it's the rate of change that matters and the direction of travel that matters. So absent everything else on the monetary and fiscal side, this looks like an economy that is plowing into recession. And it's not a crisis. No one comes and helps in a recession. That's the whole point. So go and look at what the Fed is saying in their minutes. The greater risk would be not to restore price stability. Mm. We have a role in moderating mm. demand. Yeah. They're direct quotes from the Fed minutes. Yeah. What does that mean? It means we're not coming to help everybody. We want to choke you out until your legs stop wiggling. Then we take the pressure off. Yeah. Because they have a they have a dual mandate. One's unemployment or em full employment, and one is price stability. That becomes a sole mandate in the presence of very low unemployment, mm. obviously. And they've got the sitting president of the United States holding hour-long press conferences devoted just to inflation. And Jay Powell has the prior two Fed chairs openly criticising the current sitting Fed chair's handling of inflation. Totally mm. unprecedented. So from a personal perspective, I think he's probably thinking, oh, you want me to... You want me to control inflation, do you? Watch me dance. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Right? You're going to, and I've got four more years to do it. Yeah. Right? So that's the setup on the you know, sort of lead indicators of, of the real economy side. And I just ask people to think about why the real economy didn't do anything for more than a decade in the post-GFC world in the presence of low interest rates. We had the longest but the dullest, the, the lowest average growth expansion of the post-war period with zero interest rates. So why are we so excited about interest rates going down a bit now? There's something else in the system. And that something else is bleedingly obvious. It's 10% per year GDP injected straight into people's bank accounts. That's what just happened. Mm. So if you look at corporate profitability, and people can just Google US corporate profits unadjusted FRED and go and look at that on the Federal Reserve's, you know, thing, the St. Louis Fed's data thing, and look at the shape of the curve. Amazing, amazing. So US dollars billion pre-tax unadjusted earned by corporates went up 40% in 18 months. Yeah, well. Not from a recessionary low. I don't mean from the low of like the COVID one month low. Mm. I mean from a full employment, 2.5% inflation economy in 2019 at the end of the longest post-war expansion. But let me make it more concrete. The 2018-2019 is a reasonable economy in the States. The earnings of Google, Microsoft, Apple and Meta, Meta, what a name, that they all basically double yeah. from 2019 to mid-2021. That's pretty unusual. So that's all happening all at once. What else is happening? Retail sales go up 20% in 18 months. Mm. The dollars in people's bank accounts, just the dollars in bank accounts go from 13 trillion to 18 trillion in 18 months. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> New business formation goes from a run rate of 3 million through cycle. It does, you know, look at the GFC. In 06, new business formation in the States was, you know, call it about 2.5 by the depths 
million businesses per year. Mm. In the depths of the GFC in 2009-10, it went to like 2.3 million. So, so an amplitude of 0.2. Yeah. That went up by 2 million in the same 18 months. So all these things all happen together all in the same 18 months. Yeah. And so now people are anchored onto the most radical economic experiment in human history and thinking that the earnings power of businesses in the last two years is reflective of their underlying earnings power. And I just ask people to think about how things look versus a full employment economy of 2019. Do they look cheap or expensive? And we're going to find out. Yeah. We're going to find out. So because what's happening now is the largest fiscal contraction almost in history. So we're going from an 8 to 9% of GDP budget deficit at the margin, so change year on year, not, not the level but the change year on year, 2020 versus 19, to an 8% contraction, 2022 versus 2021. So, so think of it as like a peak to peak, about 9 to minus 8. We've never done that before. Mm. Apart from one time. So that one time was in the late 1940s. I don't know if you guys are history buffs. <laughs> There's a big series of things that happened in the 40s, um, namely a big world war. Mm. We financed that, the US financed that, with deficits. So they went from a 15% deficit to a 15% contraction of that deficit from about 46 to about 48. Mm. Then what happened? 48, 49 saw CPI go negative 3%, monthly change year on year, which is the deepest um, deflation since the Great Depression, and corporate profits fell just in dollars billion by over 20%, nearly 25%, wow. from 48 through 49.50. So that's pretty sobering. And so when I see people doing the prevailing bias thing of, oh, cool, let's buy some stocks, because interest rates are falling, I think that prevailing bias is wildly wrong and missing what is an enormous contraction in the underlying economy that's driving the earnings of the businesses they're buying. And the corporates are all telling you, yeah. not all, because I, I think there's some pretty nasty guidance out there that will prove pretty ordinary. Okay. But look at the fast cycle businesses versus the slow cycle businesses. This is the worst conditions in Meta's history according to Zuckerberg. Yeah. It's mm. the first quarter on quarter de decline in revenue ever in mm. the firm's history. But Microsoft is telling you, oh, hey, we lowered guidance and missed it. We lowered 90 days ago, well, you know, a bit over three months ago now, and we missed that guidance on both revenue and, and profit. But our business will stay at its current level or re-accelerate from here on. What's going on? So meta bad, mm. Microsoft good. I mean, the easy answer is Microsoft's a great business and it's contracted revenues and it's different. Maybe. I'd posit a different thing. Meta is all small business yeah, and it's yeah. fast. So if, if a small business's revenue goes down and profit, profitability is being squeezed, which is happening right now, go and look at the NFIB small business survey, you can see that. Mm. Um, that's happening right now. They go, oh, sorry, Meta, I'm not going to pay for any advertising next week. Right? It's just bang. What happens if people contract for Azure or Office 365 or blah, blah, blah? That's a really slow budgeting cycle. So Chevron does their budget in wherever, November last year, everything's bloody rosy, it's all good. They will sit down and do their budget for next year in like October, November. Mm. So they're not saying to Microsoft, oh, look, hey, we better talk about this. They're not saying anything. They're just 
yeah, that's it. That's the contracted revenue for the year and that's the services we use and blah, blah, blah. And so I think Microsoft is seeing this enormous level of activity, maybe moderating it, well, obviously moderating at the margin because they missed revenue, yeah. you know, two quarters in a row. But they're just thinking, oh, no, whatever, that's just a, a blip. And my contention is that's just a, a fast cycle versus a slower cycle and that slower cycle will catch up. Mm. Mm. Well, Julian, let's um, take a look at where Platinum are seeing opportunities now. Before we do, though, we're just going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Today's episode is brought to you by Vanguard Super. You all know Vanguard's award-winning ETFs, but did you know Vanguard Super is winning awards too? Vanguard Super is backed by 45 years of global investment expertise. Plus, it's low cost, so you keep more of what's yours. The Vanguard Super Lifecycle product has one of the lowest super fees on the market, now more than 30% lower than industry average. So whether you're just starting your career or planning your retirement, Vanguard has you covered. Head to Vanguard.com com.au slash super to explore Vanguard Super. Fee comparison based on super rating smart data as at 31 March 2024. Other fees and costs may apply. Vanguard Super Proprietary Limited is the trustee of Vanguard Super. Read the relevant PDS and TMD available at vanguard.com.au slash super and consider if a product is right for you before making any financial decisions. So, Julian, uh, towards the start of the episode, you mentioned Platinum are looking for the overlooked and you said that there seem to be more now than perhaps there were in the not-too-distant past. So, where are, where are you seeing these opportunities? What is the overlooked? So, cyclicality, Bryce. So, so things that are responsive to fast nominal global growth. So GDP growth, not growth as a sort of factor. So I'd ask people to think about BHP and Rio. So I'm old enough to remember when BHP and Rio were sort of rah-rah growth stocks at about the same share prices as now, 15 years ago, with a 1.5% dividend yield. Mm. That's now, I don't know, 6 or 7, grossed up about 10 for, for your franking credits. So that's a, a colossal derating of these businesses, Right, just in terms of the multiple of the thing they give me today, what people will pay for them. Now, we don't own either of those stocks. That's just an example. But that, those things globally look really interesting over five to ten years. One of the reasons we had very low inflation at the end of the last decade was because we were eating the seed corn. We were living off prior investment. So massive booms in investment in metals and mining massive boom in investment in energy in particularly shale colossal boom prior to that in shipbuilding, and colossal boom prior to that in in chip making then we get to the end of the last decade and everyone thinks oh well inflation's really low well yeah that's because we spent like five trillion in shale and you know capex to mining capex to gdp in australia went to eight in the mining boom and then it fell because mm. we live in a cyclical economy Right, so now those cycles have to be caught up because the COVID stimulus wave and the behavioural thing of physical stuff I can buy on Amazon 
basically, versus services which I can't go and consume because I can't go outside, right? That then hit an underinvested field of possibility. Mm. And so that's what happened. So now we have to make up all that capex across energy and metals and mining and manufacturing and all sorts of things. So, so that is really interesting. However, in the near term, we are much, much more focused on capital preservation. So on that point, you know, uh, people who have listened to this interview are probably getting quite nervous right now. A few people might have pulled out their brokerage app and uh, uh, looking at some of the growth stocks in there and, and worrying. But at Platinum, you know, you have a mandate to be invested. Uh, you know, people, uh, institutions and stuff give you money to invest. You can't sit at 100% cash. So I guess how is Platinum positioning the portfolio in that in that short-term careering, or galloping into a recession? What's going to happen next window? So we are... So we raise cash in in times where we're nervous, but we also short markets and stocks, and we can't sit in those. So, so if people go and look at a point in time, you know, at the end of last month, I think we weren't all that short, but um, we weren't all that short. But over the sort of journey from about March through to now, we've almost never been shorter and had more cash oh, wow. in mm. our existence okay. and we've been around for 28 years yeah so we are saying to anyone who'll listen across our suite of funds for god's sake preserve your capital mm. that's the stage of the cycle we're at yeah right that's what we think and so it's, it's too late mine's already gone <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, get some more and then preserve it so um fully acknowledging that could be wrong you know the fed could pivot the fed you know whatever you mm. know Hey, it's not advice, you do you. That's what the world looks like to us. And in particular, what we think happens now is the truly great companies now come off. So what's happened is the reaper comes for the week first, right? So you're more speculative, you're obviously loss-making, you're yeah, whatever. Yeah, they, yeah. They you're, get you're Robin up. Hoods, your Pelotons. Totally. Like we, we saw it in mm. the back end of last year. Totally, but it, they yeah. peaked in... January 01, if yeah. I'm getting my, my history right, as did biotech, which is classic. And we said this publicly like over a year ago, this is what happens in early bear markets. The froth gets cleaned up first and people rotate back to the great champions because they can't lose, right? Yeah, they bloody can. Mm. Just go and look at what happens to Microsoft's three cycles. Go and look at it from, you know, sort of late 90s through mid-2000s. Go and look at it from 07 through to 2010. Smoked. Yeah. Smoked. And that did start to play out. Like Apple was down, what, 20% at one stage, but it's, it's come back on a bit. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Now, think about a pretty expensive consumer discretionary purchase over a couple of years of recession. Mm. I don't think that looks good at all. Yeah. Mm. But I could be wrong. I mean, Apple might even argue they're not consumer discretionary anymore, that they're a staple in everyone's <laughs> lives. <laughs> they're, they're, they're right, but you, you, you do economise on staples. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, that's what the world looks like to us. Yeah, okay. And mm. then uh, in terms of your short book, um, is it a lot of those highly speculative unprofitable uh, tech names. It has been. Yeah, yeah. It has been. Um, and now more and more it's gravitating back to the champions. Yeah. Okay. To, or gravitating yeah. to the champions. We, yeah, I have to be a bit careful about disclosure around shorts because it's like not – because they move quickly so yeah. I don't, and it can be very misleading to say yeah, we're short cool. this and then tomorrow we're not. But, yeah, that, that in by and large has been – so unprofitable tech is a basket that Goldman Sachs put together. That's a, that's a great – 
example of the kind of stuff we have been short mm. and now increasingly we're looking to short absolute champions. Yeah, Things wow. like, for example, not necessarily today but maybe <laughs> your Apples, your Microsofts, your CBAs, okay. your, you know, your absolute, CBA, yeah, wow. your absolute bulletproof CBA businesses. would be stoked that they're just being bucketed with Apple and Microsoft. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's got that kind of vibe. Right? Yeah, no, it's, yeah. it's the best bank in a pretty good market and it's going to be fine and it's been a widowmaker trade forever and it'll never go down mm. and it's never going to... Well, We'll see. So, Julian, for a retail investor who's sitting at home that doesn't have the luxury of being able to short as easily as some of the big institutions to to preserve some of their capital and sitting there with a philosophy as well of not selling your positions in a market crash because we all know it's probably one of the worst times to sell. We're not in a market crash yet. Okay, well, leading up to a market crash. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, My portfolio tells me we're in a market crash. <laughs> certainly hasn't been a market boom. <laughs> what, 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 are some, what are some practical ways that we should think about preserving capital if we don't have those sort of uh, yeah, techniques totally. or tools available you, to you, us? Your two great asset allocations at a time like this are cash and patience. Cash and patience. And everyone will say, oh, cash doesn't earn a return and blah, blah, blah. It's like... Okay, but think about a world that just got mega returns and then average that forward over time. You're preserving those returns by holding some cash, right? And cash is an option. It's an option to go and do anything with it, yeah. you know? So that's really, really important. I think that's amplified in a place like Australia that has massive levels of household debt where people are basically leveraged long what is kind of a risk asset in their house, and then they want to go and own a whole lot of other risk assets in the form of equities. So they're running a little household hedge fund and they're massively leveraged long. And they want to think about, okay, well, what happens in a, in a, in a relatively serious... Not, and again, it's not going to be like the GFC. It's not a crisis, like mm. I said before. So it's not like, oh, I'm going to vomit and you know the banks are all going broke and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. People, if people can remember... Remember, if people can't, ask someone, what was the early 90s like? What was the early 80s like? Yeah. And it's just, it's just dreary. You <laughs> yeah. Know? Wow. It, yeah. It's not like a <laughs> systemic crisis no. where the economy is going to collapse. It's just slower growth or yeah. less growth. No yeah. growth, yeah. Or le less or negative growth yeah. with central banks wanting to – and by the way, all that stuff before about central banks and inflation wasn't normative. I don't think they should tighten here mm. because what – did I just say cash and patience? Well, they can print the cash and they got a lot, they should have more patience. Yeah. <laughs> so why am I saying that? Well, the boom in stimulus stuff happened in 2020 and it wasn't really observable as a proven, you know, hey, we're getting too hot here until almost two years later. And so now that's all reversing and central banks want to tighten into it. Mm. Maybe, yeah. maybe that's a good idea. I doubt it. Mm. So no one's coming to help from CPI in this country of what is it, six, and CPI in the States of eight and a half, and CPI in, in, in England of nine, one, nine, two, yeah. CPI in Europe of nine, CPI in China beginning to accelerate towards three, Japan beginning to accelerate you know, towards one or two. These are average rates of inflation not seen for decades and decades. And so, yeah, they're going to tighten into that. They probably mm. shouldn't. They probably shouldn't wait, but that's what's going to happen. Mm. I mean, there are so many, so many ways we can go from here. We haven't spoken about China and I know Platinum and you've got views on China. We haven't spoken about active management VAT. Let, let me give you a quick summary of China. No, no, no. It's boring. <laughs> we, we it's, boring. Gonna, it's boring. Boring is good. Boring's fine. It's boring. 
Nice. We'll come back to it another time. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, we're going to have to get you back on to talk about these things because there's so much more to unpack. Uh, but we have run out of time uh, and we do like to finish with the same final three questions. So um, we'll get into them. But before we do, uh, if people can't wait until you come back and join us again and they want to hear more from you, follow you online, anywhere in particular they should go. I'm on LinkedIn. And that's it for me for social media. Nice. Start doing Good way else. to be. You're, yeah, not seeing, yeah, yeah. you're not seeing Bryce's clickbait on Instagram then. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> you're missing out. Yeah, I'm preserving my sanity. <laughs> uh, not vis-a-vis you, Bryce. I mean vis-a-vis, vis-a-vis the medium. Else. I'm on LinkedIn and, and that's just a purely, I don't know about professional, but that's just work stuff, right? Mm. I don't, don't really like social media. I don't want to expose myself to it. You know, go and look at our website, platinum.com.au, and there's a bit on there called The Journal and that, that's got a whole bunch of our thoughts about the world constantly. Great. And keep subscribed to Equity Mates because we'll get Julian back on in the future. Please do. Uh, But we'll get to our final three questions. We'll make them rapid fire. Uh, The first one, do you have any books that you consider must read? Yeah, The Alchemy of Finance by George Soros. The Misbehaviour of Markets by Benoit Mandelbrot. And One Up on Wall Street or Betting the Street by Peter Lynch. Nice. Nice. Uh, Second question, forget valuation, forget the the idea of investing in them today, just purely on who the company is, what it does and who it's run by. What's the best company you've ever come across? Wrigley's Chewing Gum. Okay. Yeah, that was a phenomenal business. Phenomenal business. Got taken out by Buffett and Mars in... I'm going to say 09. Just an incredible business. So it never, it didn't have any barriers. So ethnically, culturally, whatever, no one really cares about chewing, apart from Singapore. Um, so it, it could open all these new markets. Let me give you an example of how it opened markets. Yeah. Uh, when the Berlin Wall fell in 89 and Russia sort of began to really open from 91 on, they were one of the first American businesses in. And they kept on finding that their um, delivery trucks would get knocked off for the cash. So they formed armed convoys no <laughs> and delivered the chewing gum <laughs> in these convoys and took cash on, cash on delivery and then repatriated that. Like that kind of business wow. um, with unbelievable return profile, you know, sort of 20% return on capital profile over 100 odd years or a bit short of that. A truly brilliant business. Never had a dollar of debt. In the war, for example, it began to run into shortages and it just said, sorry, we're not going to sell to anyone in the public. We're going to send all our chewing gum to the troops. Yeah, Just stuff like that, just just a brilliant understanding of their own business and the societies they operate in Mm. and an incredible return profile that just, you know, the margins on a stick of gum is really very high, Mm. but then they're constantly innovating around that as well. You know, the stuff, the airwaves or the the stuff that cleans your teeth or the the packaging formats change, but the underlying single thing never changes in price. So you can buy the one at the same price, which is really low, or you go to the, you know, the big tubs of it. And that's a, that's a much higher price point per stick of gum. Mm. Just incredible business. Yeah. Great. Love that answer. And uh, then Julian, uh, final question. If you think back to your early days as an investor starting off on the right foot investing in Macquarie at $18 what advice would you give your younger self be more patient yeah be more patient that would be my advice nice love that great way to close given where the market's at at the moment time of recording the Nasdaq ripped into a bull market overnight (laughs) (laughs) Uh, good to have a sobering and more realistic view of where the world might be at but uh, do your own research check out the resources on the platinum page as well it's uh, certainly an interesting time and you've left us a lot to ponder Julian so thank you very much for sharing your time with with us and the Equity Mates community it's a pleasure my great pleasure thanks and thanks for what you're doing as well it's great it's really good thank you thank you 
Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Equity Mates. We love hearing from you. So drop us a line at contact at equitymates.com or even better, go to your podcast player and leave a five-star review. Also, a reminder that the Equity Mates content train doesn't stop when you've run out of episodes to binge. We've got a brand new website, a Facebook discussion group. We're on Instagram, YouTube, and slowly making our way as an influencer on TikTok. Well, that's Ren. So uh, come and say hello and join the community. We'd love to welcome you. Until next time. Equity Mates Investing Podcast is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. Equitymates gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by a range of financial service professionals. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Equitymates Investing Podcast are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Equity Meets Media does not operate under an Australian financial services license and relies on the exemption available under the Corporations Act 2001 in respect of any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast or video. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equity Mates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equity Mates Media and the hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. This episode is proudly supported by Vanguard Super. Vanguard Super's life cycle investment option is brilliantly designed for ease, automatically adjusting your investment mix as you get older. Okay, so Ren, what does that actually mean? It means that you can rest easy knowing your super is in steady hands. Vanguard Super leveraged 45 years of global investment expertise to automatically de-risk your portfolio leading up to and during retirement intelligently designed to focus on growth investments in your younger years and gradually introduce more defensive investments as you age, decreasing your investment risk as you near retirement, all without you having to lift a finger. Nice. So head to vanguard.com.au slash super to explore Vanguard Super. Vanguard Super Proprietary Limited is the trustee of Vanguard Super. Read the relevant PDS and TMD available at vanguard.com.au slash super and consider if a product is right for you before making any financial decisions. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth, 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod, and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gaze wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com